Show. My man Emil Calamino joins me, Chad Wilson. We're here to talk to you about college and NFL football. The season is flying along, Emil. I mean, it's blowing by. Blowing by too quickly. But you know, this this extra game at first, I didn't know if I'd like it, but I like it now because I realized I really like football. And you know, we're only halfway through the season, so it's blowing by. But we got a lot of, you know, we got good days ahead of us here. We got November, December, January. We got a lot of football left. All the players say boo to what you just said. No, listen, I would say boo too. I, uh, it's it's definitely not a player-friendly rule, and I can totally get why players don't think they need an extra game. I mean, in theory, they don't need an extra game. We don't yeah. need an extra game to Tom decide Brady, Tom, Tom Brady had a much to say about that this week. Um, do, you, do you think, though, maybe we, in, in, a, in a quiet way a little bit this year with the extra game, we are getting some – uh, what I'll call load management situations like the NBA? Uh, maybe. Maybe there are guys that could play a game. Maybe. Dak um, could have played against Minnesota. I watched his pregame workout about 30 seconds of it. It was the same workout he does before every game with his with his footwork, and he was yeah. fine. He could have played. I just think they said, well, we got 17 games. <laughs> We had a lead, and he's not playing. I think if it was a, you know, maybe he does play. If if maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it doesn't matter either way. But we might be getting a little bit of that as the season goes along. Guys, hell out of a game where it's fifty fifty. I don't know. It's just tough to do that in football, especially this year in the NFC. You know, so well, it is with seeding and everything. I I agree, but I I just think there's a little more leeway. I totally understand players. Because they don't save that much on the other end. They said, okay, well, we cut a preseason game four to three, but they weren't going to play in the preseason to begin with. So they didn't they didn't really get much in terms of saving wear and tear. I don't see it on their body. And that extra game is a lot. I mean, you know, um, going back to Tom Brady and, you know, his comments and stuff like this, he's obviously very eloquent, can speak well about things, make some very good, interesting points. Um, and he's talking about the good of the game. A part of me, though, Emil, a little part of me is is thinking Tom speaking out about the way that the game is, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he was talking about the softness of football and how it allows guys to make throws and, you know, essentially pile up yardage um, without any consequence. Then an extra game has been added. I have to think that there's a little part of Tom Brady trying to preserve records and legacy here. Well, you know, deep down he might be. I mean, it's kind of ironic to me when he said that a couple of weeks ago about the softness of the game because, I mean, he's one of the biggest beneficiaries from that. Yeah. Um, I mean, you think true. he's playing now at 44 years old if he came through. Let's say we give him the same nutritional. We have a person invent it. This is a hypothetical. He can train the same way he trains, okay? All that's available to him, but he has to play in the 1970s under those rules. You think he's playing till he's 44? I don't think he would um, be able to take too many of those suplexes that Terry Bradshaw took um, against the Cleveland Browns. I just don't know that you're going to play into your 40s with that being um, the capability. Or Staubach. I mean, the Redskins used to knock him into, into, into La La Land every so many games they yeah, played. Yeah, he would routinely find himself without his helmet on in games. So there's got to be a little bit of time that's saying, you know what, um, 
they're making it easy for the next Tom Brady to come through here, be able to play long. You can have an extra game to pile on more yards and touchdowns. And I, you know, I might be forgotten. It might be a little bit of that. In well, the interim, and I guess my question to anybody is where does it end? I mean, you know, people will say, well, it ends here. Well, does it, it was 14 games when we were kids. Okay. If you go back to the era before when, when the fifties, it was 12 games. Then it went to 14. Then in the late seventies, it became 16. Now it did take 30 some years, but now we're at 17. So when does somebody come along and say, I need that extra bit of cash. Let's make it 18. Cause that's a nice, even number. I, think I mean, before you and I check out, man, it'll be at 20. Just the well, way it's going to be like the English premier league. <laughs> yeah. I think they'll, I think they'll expand rosters though. I don't, you can't, you can't run this thing to 18 and then up to 20 without expanding rosters. If I was the players and I was negotiating for them and they get to the point of asking for the 18, my give and take part of it would be we'll give it without even getting into the money and boring people. But one of my give and takes would be guaranteed contracts. No. Well, that that's a definite. But we'll go to 18. But Thursday games are no more. Yeah, those things are brutal, man. It's not right. It's just not right. I mean, you know, anybody who who cares about player safety, and even if you even if you don't care from a human perspective, for your own teams, you know, if you're just a fan, you're just getting too many guys hurt and banged up on that quick turnaround. It's just it's not smart. Maybe they'll push back and say, "Well, we have 18 games now. You can go ahead and load management." Well, you know, you. I think you're going to go what you said. I think eventually if they go to 18, which is to expand the revenue base, let's be honest, that's what owners want, right? Expand the revenue base. Then the player pushback is we want 63-man rosters because we need 10 extra guys here if you want to play what amounts to two divided by 16. At that point, it'd be 12% more games. You want to add 12% to the season, you got to add something to the roster here. Yeah, amazing. We've got uh, several things to get to here on the show today. CFB committee, week two. Did they do the right thing? Did the playoff committee do the right thing? Uh, one way or another, people are bitching, but we'll talk about it. Florida Gators make some changes on their coaching staff. We'll talk about that. The Aaron Rodgers saga, it continues. The taunting rule, how do Emil and I feel about it and what went on Monday night? And Jerry being Jerry Jones, that is. We'll talk about that and some other topics here on the show today. Before we do that, please go ahead and hit the subscribe button. If you haven't already on whatever you uh, have chosen to listen to us on, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, whatever the case may be, go ahead and make this a permanent. Let's get a let's let's start a relationship here. Go ahead and hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss out on any future shows. If you want to follow us on social media, for me, it's easy at Gridiron Studs, whether that's Twitter or TikTok or uh, Instagram. Easy to find me there. Emil, you can find him on uh, Facebook, E M I L C L O M I N O. Go find him. C A L O. You know, you you get a test. You're only hitting about seventy five percent. I said C A L O M I N O. Come on. And you're misspelling my name. C-A-L-O-M-I-N-O. That's what I said. You just stuttered. Whatever. Okay. I misheard you. Fine. Listen, I'm going to have to cut this guy's mic off. (laughs) And he's getting a little slow on me. But anyway, um, you can find him on Facebook. Um, As always, a great, great follow. Whether it's politics, it's business. You know he's an accountant. Um, Or sports. Shh. Don't tell anybody. I'm recovering. Yeah. This guy. Um, But yes, go check him out there on Facebook. All right, let's jump into this thing here. College football committee week two. First of all, Emil, do you even like this? Do you like the whole college football committee thing? Or are you like some of the people I've seen on Twitter that want the BCS to come back while keeping the playoff? 
Uh, no, I, what I just, you know, you know, we've had multiple shows on this. We beat it to death. I just want the eight or 12 team playoff and let's be done with this. And then at that point, I'm satisfied. You give me eight or 12 teams. I, I can live with if my team's number nine, which will be a while the way, the way they're going. But anyway, but I can live with being hey, well, left out sure at number nine. Are bitching, I'm not sure what people are bitching about. Clearly, Georgia's number one. Do people have a problem with Alabama being number two? Uh, ahead of an undefeated Cincinnati football team? Should they have a problem with that? Should Oklahoma be higher? They're undefeated? Well, they do because the the brain, the way the brain works in sports, people have a hard time with college football because it's outside our norm. Like in the end, the old Bill, and I sent you a text the other day about this, Bill Parcells, you are what your record says you are in the NFL. And that's kind of true because it's kind of a homogenous schedule. I mean, you, you've, you've got and there's a certain games. amount of even evenness. There's a certain yes, you know what I mean? yes, and your schedule basically is the same. I mean, you're playing in a division, but there's not a, a big pool of teams. You kind of can get a feeling in the NFL of how good a team is without saying, "Oh, their schedule stinks." College football, we have 130 some at this point, Division One teams. Who you play really does matter, and it's significantly different. I mean, so you just look at a team's record and go, "Well, they're not at all." Well, Okay, they're nine and zero. Look at Cincinnati's schedule. Tell me if you think they're better than Alabama, and then I'll tell you what. If if I if I put a million dollars on the table and said, guess what? You can keep it if you pick the game right, and mm. if not you you get zero. You walk away with from the game with zero, and they're playing on a neutral field. How many people do you think are taking Cincinnati in that scenario? Exactly. So I really think these people. <laughs> really ought to dry their tears, especially Cincinnati. Last week was the first week of the college football playoff committee's rankings. Um, you know, the Cincinnati contingent Bearcat land felt that they got jobbed by the rankings. And then you go out and you can't cover the number against Tulsa. You needed a whole well, football game to beat those guys. Listen, 100% I'm with you. Um, they're sitting at five. And here's the thing. There's a high probability that between Alabama, Oregon, and uh, Ohio State, they're not all going undefeated. You know, they're undefeated the rest of the way, most likely. Someone's going to have a loss there, I'm guessing. So Cincinnati should be in position to move up. Now, where they're going to lose their mind is Alabama wins the West at 11-1. Georgia wins the East at 12-0. Unless Georgia beats them like 37-10, if it's, if it's a, a, a close game, seven points, four points, something like that, Alabama is still getting into the playoff at 11 and 2. Emil, that's not where they're going to lose their mind. They're going to lose their mind when Michigan defeats Ohio State this year and leapfrogs Cincinnati in the rankings. That's when all hell will break loose. Well, if that if we're playing this to its logical conclusion, if you're telling me an 11 and 1 Michigan team beats an 11 and 1 Ohio State team to win the Big 10 and finish 12 and 1, they should jump them in that scenario. Yep, that's when they're going to lose their minds. We look, we've never accused fans of having any types of logic here, but people are going to be pissed when that happens. Cause currently Michigan's sitting at six behind Cincinnati. Who's at five. Um, and to be honest, Emil, listen, Michigan should be an undefeated football team right now. I don't know what happened to them in that second half against Michigan state. I think there are people that agree with me on this statement, seeing as though Michigan is ranked ahead of Michigan state, um, in the most, in the latest. Well, Michigan's a better, listen, from the eye test, from what I've seen, Michigan, I think, I mean, I know this sounds counter. They do play the games for a reason, but it's a, it's one game. It was on their field. It was a close game. I do think, generally speaking, 
if I take their body of work and put them on a neutral field, I think Michigan's a better team than Michigan State. That's my yeah. opinion. Yeah, I think they win that game seven or eight times out of ten. So, you know, and I really feel like this is Michigan's year to beat Ohio State. I had a good look at Ohio State. I've seen games this year, but I had a good look at Ohio State. It's all that I, you know, watched while I was on my plane ride. So I watched the entirety of that game. And um, there's something missing from Ohio State. Uh, definitely something missing there. And then you've got a freshman at quarterback that will oftentimes look like a freshman. He's obviously talented. He's got a good future ahead of him, but that's going to be a problem for you against Michigan, some of the decisions that he makes. So I think this is Michigan's year to beat Ohio State. When that happens, I see them leapfrogging Cincinnati, and I feel like that's what should happen. Sure, but but here's the thing. I think we've been spoiled in the last decade with the guys like Trevor Lawrence where freshmen come in and everybody just expects it you know, everything to work. Mm. I think, I think the kid at Ohio state will be a really good player. I think he's got a few too many turnovers in him at this point to win anything substantial this year. Uh, and I kind of feel like the Alabama quarterbacks a little bit of the same thing. Alabama's getting away with it because they may have a little more talent than Ohio state, but I'm not sure that that, that playing freshman is going to work. I, I guess my biggest problem in all this would be if all this stuff happened that you just described, I'm still not sure Oregon belongs there, and I'm a Pac-12 guy. Uh, I, I just think maybe that'll take care of itself. Yeah, I just I think that's a dumpster fire, and I hate to say that. Anybody who listens to the they show, they seem to be skirting by. Emil is what it. What it yeah, like it is. Be. But you've seen that conference this year. It's just so. I mean, listen, I'm a diehard USC guy forever and a day, but I watch. I cringe watching the Pac-12 this year. It's yeah, just, yeah, it's I, terrible. I, feel you. I got high on a few teams and then had to, you know, calm down. Um, my, the latest team I'm high on is Utah. They completely manhandled uh, Stanford. So the problem for Oregon is I think they're going to end up facing Utah twice. I think they have Utah on the schedule. Yeah, the and that may take care of itself. You're right. I mean, I'm hoping that it does because I really, you know, and I, I guess it doesn't matter what I feel. I'm just saying as a football fan without a horse in the race, I kind of feel like, Oregon is getting the benefit of that one win against Ohio State, and the rest of that, the, their performances have not been that great. If you look at their schedule, they've had a lot of, like you, you used the term, just skating by performances. Yeah, too, far too many. So, um, I mean, if they're able to beat Utah twice, though, I guess maybe they belong. I yeah, I don't know. Um, we talked all offseason about wanting the Pac-12 to get back involved in this thing, and here you are taking a dump on the possibility. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Quite frankly, yeah, I'm taking a dump on it. What do we do with an undefeated Oklahoma? Well, I, you know, again, Oklahoma is another team. I think if they finish strong, they may come way up here. I mean, they got they got a game to showcase themselves this week against Baylor. I think that's going to be, you know, I know Baylor took a loss last week against TCU, but it was a close game. They're at, it's at Baylor. It's in Waco. I think this is a game where Oklahoma needs to drill them if they really want to make a jump. Yeah, um, they do need to. They do need to send a message out there somehow because sitting Oklahoma at nine and zero, sitting at number eight, just seems weird. It is weird, but again, I think, and th that's the point. I think this committee is doing the best they can to really take a look at the body of work, who you've you've looked playing them. College football is not like, you know, again, I keep going back to this. It's not even like college basketball. College basketball, you win and you're in. You don't have to go through this. All the other professional sports, 
generally it's it's a it's a meritocracy. College football is a little bit of a combination of of a sport plus gymnastics. You know, like somebody does a backflip and you grade it an eight nine and I grade it a nine. <laughs> yeah, there is a figure skating feel to college football, no question. Yes, um, it's just. We, we were born into this system. Emil, there's nothing we can do about it. So it is what it is. Talking about someone that is not ranked, that is the Florida Gators that um, it would seem the floor fell out from underneath this football team last week as they went into Columbia, South Carolina in a game in which they were double-digit, damn near three touchdown favorites, and got completely blown out. And it was, you know, a surprise. Obviously, this is not the year that Florida fans wanted. Um, to a certain degree, you know, you kind of had to expect that this would. I came into this year feeling like they were a nine and three, eight and four football team because you're breaking in a brand new quarterback and you've lost a significant amount of talent over the last two seasons. I don't know what Florida fans thought. I yeah, but I mean, I don't think any of them thought they were this. And and I think the bigger problem, and I don't want to be a Dan Mullen apologist here, but I mean, a lot, a little, of this could be self fulfilling. I mean, you know. At some point, you know, people are human. The coaches, the players, they hear what he said. We talked about it last week. I felt like he had a knee-jerk reaction, um, and, and you're closer to that program than I'll ever be, but I feel like he had a knee-jerk reaction playing the freshman against Georgia, who clearly a talented kid but wasn't ready for that that defense and that stage. And I, I think it just spiraled out of control. From there, I mean, you now they just went and got completely by an average South Carolina. Yeah, um, they weren't going to win that Georgia game, and uh, maybe a part of him, apart from the pressure that's being applied, that the fans think they don't have any influence. They definitely have influence, especially when what you say falls into the hands of the lazy media that just wants to take their input from from tweets. Um, but you know, maybe he felt like this kid has a certain element to him that could break the code of that defense, which is Georgia. Maybe he can make some superhuman plays out there and give us an opportunity. And that's not what happened. What happened is what I know Dan Mullen knew really in the back of his mind that this kid wasn't yet ready. And, and that's what ended well, up happening. It was fallout. Come, you know, come everybody, everybody wants, you, you know, it's kind of like the old for, for our audience there. I'm assuming since it's a sports show, we've got some people that like baseball. It's kind of like everybody likes they're prospects. You know why? Because you never really saw them fail at the major league level. They're perfect. They're like a little baby coming into the world. You know, my prospect. That's why everybody likes the backup quarterback in football. You know why? Because he hasn't failed yet. He's yeah. the backup. And, it, and, <laughs> and we're in love with hope. We're, uh, exactly right. That's And that's where I was going with this. Hope. The prospect in baseball is hope. He could be the 320 Short, hitting shortstop that hits 35 home runs because you haven't seen him fail like your current shortstop. The backup quarterback could be the next Aaron Rodgers because you haven't seen him fail yet like your current quarterback. Sure. That backup quarterback is the lotto ticket. I mean, you yep. really feel on you know Saturday night at 9 o'clock like you got a shot. Then they read those numbers off on Sunday morning. Oh. Uh, well, that's what most fans don't realize. I'm not saying coaches are never wrong. They're wrong a lot like the rest of us. But when you're at practice every day and, and you're watching somebody go about their business and you're watching them in the weight room and you're watching them study film and you're just seeing all this, the coaching staff sure as hell should know more about the ability of a player than a bunch of fans. Okay. 
<laughs> yeah, you would think. Even if you took the common fan and put him in that situation, you know, they would have a pretty good idea. Add to that that the coach actually has experience and has been in a situation like this more than likely more than once. So, um, you know, but we're talking about fans here. They're rarely ever um, any sense of logic in what they think and then now what they tweet. The fallout from the blowout loss is that the uh, is that Mullen fires the defensive coordinator Todd Grantham. You know, way too late for for many Florida fans, um, and also you know, eighty six the offensive line coach. That part was a surprise, but you know, I guess changes. Well, yeah, I guess you know. I mean, I get you know now that the you know the rumors are it's the same names, right? I mean, there, there's I've heard, I've read Mel Tucker, Mel Tucker to Florida. Uh, what is it, coach? Yes. Hey, well, can we just talk about this for a second? I'm listen. I'm telling you what I read. I'm not saying no. I, I hear you. No, I hear you. Um, and I've heard Mel Tucker for my school when they wanted to, you know, put Manny Diaz out to pasture. I gotta talk to fans and anyone listening to this right now. I I've met Mel Tucker personally. Outstanding individual. Um, and is certainly worthy and due of all the success that is coming to him. However, we know absolutely nothing about Mel Tucker as a head football coach. He's his third year, I believe, into, into coaching. He did a year at Colorado. He was at Michigan State last year where he was two and five. And, yes, he's having a good year this year. For God's sakes, let him have a great year this year. Come back next year with expectations, and let's see what he is. You know me. I'm going to tell you we need five years to know what a guy is. But – well, yeah, I don't know how he's going to handle the expectations that come with maybe a 10-2 and two season or whatever they put together at the end of this year. Plus, I don't know what he's going to bring in. And any Lansing, who expects nothing because they've never had anything. Bring him to Florida. Bring him to LSU. Bring him to Ohio State. Bring him to Penn State, even. Yeah. Bring him to no, USC, where, where you can walk by, you know, uh, the Sears Trophy in the lobby, and then now let's see what he is as a coach. Well, listen, I can just tell you as a USC fan, I'm sure it's the same way at Florida and Miami schools that you you're intimately involved with. Mm-hmm. You go nine and three at USC, they think you suck. It's a problem. It's a it's, it's a problem. Three games. No, no, yeah, it's a problem. And you know, people laugh at that, but that's just when you've won for the better part of a hundred years. That that's ingrained. Fathers, grandfathers pass it down to dad. Dad passes it to son. Everybody thinks that you know the goal is the national championship, right? Uh, and I asked this question on Twitter today. How far? And I'm going to ask this to you. Um, how far removed from a championship in terms of years does a program need to be before that is no longer the standard? Well, I, I think that's a twofold question. I think it's not only a length of time. I think it's number of almost like a quantitative number of championships. Give me an example. A game that you hate it, but I have to bring it up. To Ohio State beat you guys in you know the mm-hmm. overtime game. We yeah. won't get into that play. Okay. It had been 34 years since Ohio State had won a national championship. The last one was 1968. Geez, had it been that long? Wow. Yeah, go go look it up. Okay, that, that's, winning is hard. We've talked about that too on shows. People don't realize only one team gets to win, so it's been thirty-four years. But Ohio State had a rich history of success, number of championships, Heisman Trophy. So the standards always there. They were still winning conference championships. I think if you're you a know, one-off, if I can, if I'm remembering this carefully, I don't remember national championship being the standard 
for Ohio State, it was always about the Rose Bowl. We don't have the luxury of that. Well, right. But the, you know, we're not, you and I are not, I'm sure if we talk to a, a, a Buckhead, they would tell us that they expected it. I mean, John Cooper got fired for going 11 and one every year because he couldn't beat Michigan. Whether he went to the Rose Bowl or not that year, Michigan came in at eight, seven and three, beat Ohio State to make them 10 and one. If Ohio State went to the Rose Bowl and won, they were still ticked that they lost to Michigan. My point yeah. is they had a high standard. What I had is I think if you're a one off program, like you grabbed a national championship like college in 1990, that split with Georgia mm. Tech. Nobody sits there and says, hey, the standard for Colorado now is national championship. Now, for a while it was. In the 90s, they remember Cordell Stewart and some of the Heisman Trophy winning running backs and all that stuff. But, I mean, that went away quickly because nobody thought to themselves, hey, this is an all-time great program. They should be competing for championships. They were a one-off. So, listen, um, my alma mater, we've got five. Yeah. But it's also been 20 years at what point do you say this is not the standard? And I'm saying this and for fans listening to it that are Miami fans. I'm not saying, oh, we. I'm not saying we're trash. I'm not saying that. I'm saying let's not have that be the standard and think that the moment a coach comes in, he either needs to accomplish that within three years or it's a failure. Let's get him out. Why not? Let's just get back to being consistent winners. So why not? Let's just get to winning double digit. Uh, well, I think, I think what you're suggesting is a modification. The standard at Miami will always be to compete for national championships. I think fans need to adjust it in that there is no magic win national championship button where you just hire one coach and win national championships. I think schools need to build back to that standard like Miami and USC, which, and the first step is let's consistently win our conference. Okay, I think you build to that and and just like you build any winning program, then the next step. And I think when a coach comes in, they've got to be given a two and three year window to get to that point where they're winning the conference, at least. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can't. But again, I think if you're at Miami and three or four years in, you're nowhere close to winning the ACC. You should be in trouble. All all the tools are there. I know that you, you don't like some of the things the administration has done. And I agree with you. But generally speaking, you have a rich history. You've got weather. You've got recruits all over. There's no reason Miami shouldn't be at the top of the ACC in short order with the right coach. Perhaps you're right. I just think the further we've moved away from that level, the longer it takes to get back up there. And we're now at, we're, we're now at the point where we're 20 years removed. Um, we're one and nine, one and eight in our last nine bowl games. I just think it's going to take time. I don't know if it's even three years. I think it's four or five years to, to being consistent winners. Like you have back to back 10 win seasons. Yeah. 10 and 11 win uh, seasons. Yes. Yeah, so generally I mean, speaking, Clemson is in the conference table. I mean, I, I understand. And generally speaking, I agree with you. But sometimes you catch lightning in a bottle. I mean, hey, Alabama wasn't much when Nick Saban went there. No, they, you know, they were not. Um, I mean, I just, it, it turns quickly when you, you know, that, that's the thing about college football. It's interesting. That history really does play a lot um, into it for schools. So like a school like Miami, if they get the right coach there and that worm turns for them, it can turn quickly. You know, one year in, he shows that, like, hey, look, this guy's for real. The team looks good. Maybe they win eight, nine games, but, you know, people could see what's happening. They'll start getting recruits again. And the minute that happens at a school like that, 
the worm can turn very quickly. Same thing for a USC or a Texas. Those kind of schools, if they can get the right bet, but the problem is nobody wants to wait and give the the higher the chance to do it. They all want this like instantaneous. Everybody's supposed to be Nick Saban. You know, when we're gonna hire you and in like 14 months <laughs> we're gonna be Man, there's one Nick Saban. And I still say, Emil, I still say if my man Colt McCoy doesn't get hurt in that Rose Bowl, that Alabama dynasty either doesn't begin or it is delayed. I still Perhaps. think I mean that game good. that that game was going the wrong way for Alabama at that point. It was. It was. So, you know, this thing may have never have happened. But who knows? No, we'll, we'll never know. But again, I think that he he's the problem and we've talked about this. He's the problem right now for a lot of coaches because fans just have this thing. The first thing they want to do is change the coach in every sport. And sometimes it's warranted, but you've got to give the coach a chance. I mean, you can't just change the coach every year. Yeah, they've fired. So many guys have gotten fired for not being Nick Saban. It's just absolutely unbelievable. It's word to win time. Here's your chance for you to win a $50 Amazon gift card via the Gridiron Studs show. Just simply send an email to cwilson at gridironstuds.com with the word to win Prescott in the subject line. Again, that's cwilson at gridironstuds.com with the word Prescott in the subject line. We'll announce the winner on Monday, November 15th. Thanks for listening to our show. Final thing on this before we you know move into our halftime adjustments here is uh, a lot of things for the fan bases too is since recruiting has become such a great thing it's like i think you can underperform on the field for a little while um but you get currency with the fans if you're killing it in recruiting if you can pull together some top five recruiting classes because it goes to the whole thing that we just talked about which is hope so if you're pulling well in- and can i hit you with a captain obvious for you but maybe not all our fans mm. it, it, so, i mean i i feel like people listen we have some pretty educated football fans, but some people might not understand this. When they do recruiting rankings and they're doing them based on stars, that doesn't necessarily translate to the field in a sense of two things. One, you can have a class loaded with with perimeter players. My school does that. USC still cranks out wide receivers, corners, right? Michael Pittman's pretty good, isn't he? Yes, he is. <laughs> Drake Long. Really good pro player, probably a top ten pick. Okay, one hundred percent. Right. Okay, Dory Jackson for all his his faults. I mean, still a pretty good pro player. My point is, they're not getting linemen offensively and defensively. the The rankings don't account for that. So you could recruit twenty wide receivers, corners, safeties. You'll be in the top ten. That doesn't mean it's going to be a good product on the field. I think that is a very good point, Emil. Is like you could be heavily loaded in one particular area or two areas. Um, and maybe not in a very key area like offensive and defensive line, which, if, you know, anyone who followed USC football like you did knows that that's where, you know, Pete Carroll made his hay. That's where the biggest difference was made um, was along the lines in the trenches is is and Miami and Miami, too. You, you know, let's not forget different players that came through these particular schools. And Chad and I obviously were being fans here. Chad played there. But, you know, whatever school you could pick. But when they usually go to hell in a handbasket is when the offensive and defensive line recruiting goes down. The NFL Hall of Fame is littered with USC offensive line. Yes. Go look. Okay. Yeah, there, there's a reason for that. Okay. That's, you know, people always thought of USC as a flashy school or Miami. But those schools got after you. 
They had Miami's defensive linemen. People can rattle them off. Okay, of Warren's, Russell, Warren Sapp, Russell Merrill. Yes. Jerome Brown. Yes. Yeah. Um, and listen, on the offensive side, too, like well, it's been a while since we've had a Leon Searcy or a Bryant McKinney. It's been a while. Right, exactly. Rattled. The people don't realize that. That's where – give a bunch of five- and four-star offensive and defensive linemen, and this is not to minimize, okay? I'm not saying that they're not difference makers, but if I had to choose one or the other, Give me a bunch of offensive and defensive linemen that are studs, quote-unquote average players by the star system coming in outside three stars. I'll win more games than the flip the inverse. Yeah, um, I mean, you've made a great point there. I definitely got to give that to you. I think if your school and my school really wants to turn things around, they've got to make a concerted effort um, and make it a focus to just go find those guys. And if they're not in the state anymore, then you've got to go to those states and make your plea and make make them a priority. And with my air quotes up, do what you've got to do to land those guys in your program if you want to advance this thing back to where it once was. And they, listen, it's been the same at every level. I mean, it, I guess in high school, you can get away with it a little more because you might have a kid outside that can just run away from everybody because he's so much better. But generally speaking, you, you've got to win in the trenches. The NFL is the same way. If you can't, Man, I if you can't. Know. Emil, I don't know if uh, that's the case in high school either. I'll tell you this story. We had Brian Burns, who plays for the Carolina Panthers, a first-round pick, um, with us at American Heritage when I was coaching there. And there were times we had to pull him out of practice so that we could we could have a practice. We could The offense could could run their plays. He'd wreck them all. Because they could, yeah, they could. Well, there you go. Okay, so basically you're saying even at that level it matters. You can't even run it. And again, you guys, I hate to say, because not all our audience is down there, so we have some people all over the country up here. You guys are a different animal down there, okay, because you've got so many Division One players playing at these schools that you coached at that my, my point is not as valid. Now, up here, you can have a kid like a, a Rocket Ishmael played locally. Mm-hmm. You just can't catch him. Okay. Yeah. Just the, you know, he's he's that much better than everybody else on sure. the field. I can so, imagine him uh, yeah. running around Wilkesbury just like yeah. <laughs> just destroying everything. And quad, quadre two, his brother. They I mean one went to Notre Dame, one went to Syracuse. You're just not catching those guys. Like if they get loose, it was it, we don't have that. I'm not saying we don't produce some players up here. We do. And that's yeah. so I'm not taking a shot, but it is in South Florida or Southern California or North Texas. Might be six guys on each side of the ball. I mean, no, 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 no question about it. All right. Well, um, you know, we definitely, I think we said what we needed to say there on that. So um, it's probably a good time to to tell the listening audience if you have a question or a comment, uh, feel free to email the show, cwilson at gridironstuds.com. Or if you're on Anchor, go ahead and leave a voice message right now if one of us um, either pissed you off or made a really, really good point, one way or another. Um, go ahead and leave us a voice message. Listeners, if you love getting cash back like I do, then you've got to get the Get Upside app right now. Get cash back on your everyday purchases without changing anything about how you shop or live. You'll pay however you normally do with a credit card or debit card, and cash back will be deposited directly to your Get Upside account. There's no limit on how much you can earn. Get Upside even works with other coupons, discounts, and loyalty programs. First, you claim your offer, find local offers on everything from gasoline to restaurants and everything in between. Second, you spend, you shop as you would at your favorite spots around town. Third, check in or scan receipts, check in to log your purchase and you'll be on your way. 
Finally, get rewards. Earn cash back and cash out whenever you want via PayPal, e-gift card, or check. It's just that simple. I love coffee, and I get mine for free just by earning cash back from GetUpside. Download the app and get started getting your cash back today. Click on the link in the description of this episode to get started. Time now for our halftime adjustments session, section, part of the show. This is where Emil um, brings the question from you, the fans, to me, the, um, what can I call myself? The quasi-expert having played. Well, you're, you're, you're an expert, so here's the question. You're going to help the fans and Jerry Jones if he's listening today. Explain to us why it's such a big deal for a lineman to switch from the right to left side or vice versa. So in other words, if I'm going from right guard to left guard, right tackle, to left tackle, or either way, why is that such a big deal for an offensive lineman? Like, what is it that makes it difficult? Uh, well, I'll just start with this part of it. Uh, I know left tackles uh, because you're typically to the quarterback's blind spot, blind side. Um, tend to have to be a little more athletic and longer. That's that's I like them there because, you know, the other team's going to put their best pass rusher there. But outside of that, just in the common sense of things, when you're lined up on the right side, it's you're in a different stance. You know, your right foot's back, your right, you know, your your right hand is down, and it's the opposite when you're on the left side. So it's almost like a baseball player, you know. So if you've grown up hitting from the right side of the plate, and then you ask someone to go around and hit to the left side of the plate, it's going to be pretty difficult. Now, it's not as difficult as, you know, just suddenly, you know, um, switching to the other side of the plate, but it's similar in that it's a A guy's got to learn all his footwork, technical stuff in the inverse. It all changes. It all changes. Okay. You've got to get in that stance and be in a, you know, good balanced stance. You know that. Um, now with a different foot and a different hand down and that first step is different. It's all, it's all very, very different. And those moves, that first move, um, out of your stance has to be right with the way guys come off into you. Now, if you've got an Aaron Donald or you've got a Brian Burns, um, coming at you, um, or you've got a, you know, not even just passing, taking that first step in, in like a zone run play where you've got to take a bit of a lateral step and climb um, either, you know, to try and turn a defensive lineman that might be, you know, right in front of you and a gap right next to you. Imagine you are, you've switched from the left side, you've switched from left guard to right guard, and you, the play in the huddle is, a, is you know, zone play to the right, and in that gap right to the right of you is Aaron Donald, who has one of the more amazing get-offs in the world, and you're used to, you know, stepping differently from the left. Now you got to do it to the right and cut this guy off before he gets through that gap to, to destroy the play. It's, it's not easy. Uh, I, I so think, I think sub, I think sub or consciously all intermediate to expert football fans probably realize some of this, but when we watch it on TV, right, it does, you know, as you're watching it live, you don't realize that there's footwork involved. It just looks like a sumo wrestling match. When yeah. you're, <laughs> you're not watching 22 film, it's just it's like, hey, there's a bunch of really big guys running into each other. And yeah, I, think I mean, for point, the common you know, fan, and you know what? Even for some guys who play that just have never really involved themselves into what's happening in those trenches there, if you're a, you know, if you're a defensive back or a wide receiver or running back or something like that, and you just, you know, it's just not a part of the game you cared about, just give me the ball. Um, 
You know, you may be inclined to think that that's all that's going on in there. It's just two guys slamming into each other and, you know, stronger man wins. But there's so much. I, it's strange for me to be the guy that I am, the size that I am, play the position that I played, coach the positions that I coached. I'm a guy that really loves what happens on the line of scrimmage. I just really love watching the pass blocking, uh, the down blocks, the zone blocking, the the pulling of guards and linemen. Um, I love that part of the game because it's so, so technical. People fail to realize that's the most technical part of the game, right? There. Well, I used to love a good, you know, I used to love to watch like, or still do it when it happens is like a good trap block where, where, where they, where they just, you know, they trap a guy and, yeah. and just open up a hole. Like it's kind of cool when you watch it happen, you know, at the right angle. And yeah. there is, yeah, and just like you're saying, pull it when you get a lineman, especially a guard that would pull on a sweep, something like that. I think that's, I think that's a, an interesting part of the game that you don't, always see as much of on tv no i mean most fans follow the ball in a sport anyway but i'm here to tell you watch any football game the most technical part of the game the, the place where the most technique is being used is on that offensive and defensive line and i would you know i would encourage any of the fans listening that you know when you're watching a game this weekend uh spend a series or two just watching what's happening on that offensive and defensive line so when the ball snap just keep your focus at least for the first two or three seconds on the line of scrimmage. And then you can, you know, go find the football, find the quarterback, find where the ball's been thrown. Um, I think you'd be, you know, pleasantly surprised at what's happening in there. It's very, it's super technical. And if it's, it's not some, right, It's some good advice. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to take your advice. I'm going to find a game. I don't give a crap who wins this weekend when I'm flipping channels. And I'm just going to do that for a series or two where I don't care where the ball goes. I don't care who wins. I, I'm going to watch the line play. And for our betting con- folks out there, for you degenerates that do halftime bets, <laughs> you would do well to watch a game in that fashion. Watch what's happening at the line of scrimmage. And whoever, if you see one side or the other really dominating there, it's in your best interest to roll with that team for the second half. Because the game. Well, there you go. There's a little degenerate gambling advice there, in the uh, middle yeah, of a halftime you, adjustment. I'm giving you an incentive now to watch the big heavies. <laughs> That if you're seeing constant penetration by one team, or if you're seeing one team moving guys off that line of scrimmage and the running back's getting two or three yards into the line of scrimmage before he's even getting touched or meeting the other the other side, those things are really hard to change in the locker room at halftime. You have to do like a, some serious schematic changes and find something that they're not prepared for to flip that around. So you degenerates out there, you want to know who you want to win your second half bet. Watch, start watching the, the line of scrimmage. Okay, now let's get out of the halftime and get to the next league, the ones that pay for yeah, uh, play for pay. Receivers. Let's go back out to the to the little guys out there that, um, you know, color their hair and um, are known for antics. OBJ, who's kind of cleaned up his act where that is concerned. It took a, a boy yeah. in Cleveland to get them all off that. But, Emil, where's this guy going to end up? From, um, from what I understand, um, he has three teams, I believe, that he's – keenly interested in it's the saints it's the packers i think i'm missing the other one um but there's one more team out there and i'm understanding amel that the packers have offered obj a veteran minimum contract i don't know why they want him you know they always feel like they're just a missing piece to their receiving core. You know what though, I, I just feel like he's one of these guys now. I've seen enough of his act. You, you remember your old friend that used to, you, you, you know, for people who haven't listened to us for years. Chad told me a long time 
because I'm a Dr. Cowboy fan. He said, hey, well, any team that Terrell Owens is on is never going to win the Super Bowl. You realize that, right? <laughs> uh, and that, yeah. that's kind of that's kind of where I got this guy. I just feel like he's one of these guys. I, I think he got a lot of mileage out of that catch on Sunday Night Football against my Cowboys years ago mm-hmm. and because of his athleticism and, you know, the way he can snatch a ball. And I think he's gotten a lot out of that. And I somehow it doesn't feel to me like the production field matches the headache that comes with it. I don't know if I put him in that category because the the, the difference, I think, between OBJ and Terrell Owens was Terrell Owens seemed to get into too much with his teammates. There's too much of, you know, that stuff going on with teammates. Now, OBJ has these antics that, um, or at least he used to, when he entered this league, there was a lot of draw attention to me, which is kind of the game for wide receivers nowadays so they can get their catches and et cetera and get their endorsements. I just don't find, I've never heard much about him getting into it with teammates. And that was the biggest thing that bothered me about Terrell Owens. He had the whole fight with, um, you know, the Hugh Douglas. Um, with yeah. The, with the linebacker. I don't know, Chad. I feel he like he wants to is... beat up Donovan McNabb. Yeah. But, um, I feel like know, the Packers are reaching here. Do, do they need him? You were there with they, you know, the Cardinals right now at the halfway point have to be, for me, the number one seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, number team, even not just record wise. They've been the cleanest so far this year. Yet, mm-hmm. you know, the Packers walked in there and upset them without their best couple receivers. I don't know why the Packers feel they need this guy. I mean, when they have their receiving core, I don't think that's a problem for them. Um, you listen, far be it for me to, to, to dive into what the Packers think. We spent a whole off season trying to figure out what they were doing with back and forth with Aaron Rodgers, who we're going to get to here in a minute. But um, I can think of nothing other than they feel like that's just that one little missing piece, one more person to perhaps either draw attention away from Devontae Adams or pay for attention being thrown towards Devontae Adams. And they just feel like they have Adams and then a couple of guys. Maybe that is true because look at what happened last year. You had a rookie quarterback in there, basically, in, um, you know, in, in, when you when you when you took the game when you took when you played the Kansas City Chiefs this week and um you know with your guy loving there you couldn't you couldn't get the ball up and down the field um, listen it's a good segue play. and we can tie the two together let's go to Rodgers so now you're going to bring in a o, o, OBJ and you've got him and Rodgers two guys that are clearly a couple you know chicken nuggets short of a happy meal okay mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. To me, it's just a formula. You already got one guy that's a head case there, and that's Aaron Rodgers. I, I just I don't know why you need a second. You know, um, I think teams get into this thing where they want to make sure they're being aggressive because they're on a clock. Obviously, the Packers are on a clock because Aaron Rodgers um, could hang it up at any moment, or he could be out the door uh, with another franchise. So you feel like, well, we've got this once-in-a-lifetime quarterback um, talent, and we need to do everything that we can to try and get another Super Bowl out of this guy. And if that means adding OBJ and whatever he may bring to the table, we're willing to do that. But they're not that willing if the offer is a veteran minimum contract, which I don't know that OBJ will sign for. Right. I mean, they're basically saying, you know, we'll take a free look at you and we can get rid of you at any time. And, you know, maybe that's an approach. I guess you get him in the building, you see how he mixes and 
if it's not a, if it's if he's if it's not an immediate hit, you just send him on his way. I guess. I mean, I look at what. Let's let's just segue into this. What what do you make of this whole Rogers situation? I mean, the whole thing seems goofy from the jump. I think Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, I've said this a bunch of times to my brother and just, um, you know, even to my kids that attention is a drug. And I think this was uh, an opportunity for Aaron Rodgers in his mind to get attention for something other than just being able to throw a football. I think he covets that. He craves that. Um, Hence the um, hosting gig for Jeopardy. He just wants to be seen in that light as an intellect smarter than you. I think outside the box, I've got some answers that maybe everyone else doesn't have. And I think with such a big issue as COVID, which is, you know, affected everyone and not just the sports segment, I think he felt like he could present these wild ideas about COVID and pull people to his side and be seen as an intellect, a guy who went to Cal. And well, let, well, let me quiz you on Let me quiz you on a few things here, because here's what I'm not sure of in this whole thing. OK, reporter asked him a question. He gets clever. He goes all Bill Clinton on us with his answer. And he says, I've, I've been in, immunized. He didn't say I got a COVID vaccine. He said, I've been immunized. He tried to play yeah, wordsmith. Slick. Okay. Slick. Slick. okay, well, let's start with he's under no, you know, he's under no, uh, you know, ethically he should, but he doesn't have to answer the press, honestly. Mm-hmm. I have to believe you would know this, right? The Packers knew he wasn't vaccinated. Am I correct? No, of course. They, of course they, they did. They know all who's vaccinated and not vaccinated. Okay, and the NFL knew, okay? Yes, I, I would have to imagine that they report. So he didn't lie to the Packers or the NFL. I'm not defending him. I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to get the fact pattern before I make my point. He, mm-hmm. he, he, the NFL knew. The Packers knew. He lied to the media. I guess my problem with, with the whole thing is why, if the NFL knew he wasn't following protocol, did they not flag the Packers from the jump only because he tested positive Did all this come out? So in other words, last year, people were losing draft picks like the Saints, the Raiders. They were getting half million dollar fines. This guy is flouting the rules from the jump. He, he does it on numerous occasions. He gets one fine for 14 grand instead of multiple fines. And the team gets hit for 300 grand. It seems like there's something going on. Like, why does Green Bay not pay the price that other teams have paid for this? Oh, and that's what the rest of the league would like to know right now. Players, uh, coaches, and you know, front offices right now um, are you know raising hell about that. First of all, this is kind of how the NFL handles everything. They wait for it to be a major problem, and then we're going to get on it. Uh, they just don't seem to be preventative at all. Um, in, in the way that they go about handling the, the problems that come their way. So we're not going to do anything about, um, you know, the black experience in America until something like this boils over. Um, and then we're going to do that. We're not going to do anything about, um, yeah, look, you can pick, you can pick your, any topic they've been, they, they're always, they're always in a trail position. And we'll I guess deal with I, this when it hits, when it hits the front page. But I guess and what so, I don't understand is I think the whole story, like they keep saying Aaron Rodgers lied to the team in the NFL. No, we didn't. Not, not at least my understanding. He, he lied to the media. by the team. Oh, I keep, now I'm using that word. Right. You, got, you either got vaccinated by the team or when you entered training camp this year, you presented them with evidence of you having been vaccinated. Right. If you, if you were vaccinated, and, you know, uh, whether by the team or you had proof of, you had one set of protocols. And if you weren't, you had a different set of protocols. Right. So the team was aware. His teammates were aware. 
NFL was aware. He lied to us, the fans, which, you know, you would hope these guys are being honest, but that part. So I think the overstatement is, well, he lied to this team and the fan, and the league. No, no, no. They all knew. They just didn't care. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, I don't know why the Packers would, and maybe perhaps they weren't. We're just not privy to that information. I don't know why the Packers weren't fined throughout. If he wasn't, uh, I have no idea. I have no idea. Should have been I, a weekly I, thing, right? If I'm the GM of the Saints right now, I think they lost the sixth round pick in 2022. I'm saying, well, wait a second, wait a second. I lost a draft pick. I was doing everything against protocol that 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 the league has set forth for unvaccinated players, and the only reason they got fined is because he got COVID. Had he never gotten COVID. He would have went through the whole season doing what he wanted to do. And and the Saints and Raiders, like I said at the beginning of the segment, are losing draft picks. Yeah. That seems really, really unfair for the way you administer to a professional league. Yeah, um, there's obviously some type of favoritism being played there. Can we even trust the test results? Hey, man, this guy might have beat the Cardinals while he was on COVID. We need to launch an investigation. <laughs> you want that loss back, don't you? <laughs> I do. You want man. a two-game lead, don't you? I hate the way that that game ended. Um, that was a tough ending, but you have to lose sometime in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, I'm sure it was it was a character builder. <laughs> yes, yes, that's what all coach. It was a character builder for the yeah, Cardinals. There you that go. Night. Listen, the final thing I want to hit here on the NFL thing is: listen, we were treated to a really, really good game on Monday night between the Bears and the Steelers, unexpectedly, really, because I thought that would just if if it wasn't going to be one sided, because it's the Steelers at home taking on a rookie quarterback, I thought it would be boring. You know, yes, it was anything but that um, it was we were treated. How, however, the outcome of the game was a bit marred by what went on with the officiating and um, specifically the taunting rule, which I frankly just cannot stand. It's another thing you've added to the game. Just it seems just simply to irritate the players and the fans watching it. And this it's arbitrary, right? Taunting to you and taunting to me are not necessarily the same thing. And we can all claim we heard a different thing and, and what constitutes a taunt. I mean, you, you add another arbitrary rule. It's bad enough we deal with these pass interference calls 40 yards down the field. Uh, and, you know, the, it seems like this year we haven't had quite as many controversial pass interference calls. Mm -hmm. Seems like this has been replacing pass interferences, the taunting flag. Emil, I am just so afraid of, we all know what playoff football brings. Brings high emotion. I'm so afraid that we're going to get into a playoff and they're tight games because this is the best of the best. And, you know, you make a game-saving play, a drive-turning play, and a guy gets excited about it. And some official, um, based on what you just said, is his idea of what taunting is, throws a flag and a, a playoff game in the National Football League gets affected by this. Well, it's 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 almost inevitable at some point, right? I mean, it's, you, you got it. You... And then it's, it's, it's a cultural thing. I can guarantee you, Emil, what a black player thinks is taunting is extremely different from what a white player may think is taunting, let alone officials. Well, and we've all we've already seen this in baseball, right? The Cuban players play a different game 
Um, they're very emotional. Uh, if you watch any of those Caribbean World Series games in the wintertime, if you're a baseball fan, it's a different atmosphere to baseball game down there in all yes. those places, Cuba, Dominican Republic. It's almost like a soccer game over in England. OK, there's cheering all the time. They're waving flags. So the players tend to be more emotional. They came over here. They're bat flipping. And these guys at first were getting all pissed off you know this guy flipped a bat you know you're supposed like i said to you earlier you're supposed to hit that homer and pretend someone told you you have diabetes when you run around the base. for god's <laughs> sakes that's really what it's like. you know? i mean so there's there's a different kind of of culture there's more spice there if i could use that word yes and so um what one guy thinks is something another guy might not think it's that but how now do we get to decide and here's Why the thing though it's weird anything? But Was isn't it, it weird? Problem, did we have we had? I almost feel like the guys making these rules now. Did you? Did you? I mean, I know it's older white men that own this league. Basically, they're the owners. Did you guys not see football in the eighties and nineties? Did you not see bench clearing brawls? We have not had that for years here. Why did we feel the need to put this in here? What? What? Where well, here's what I was going to say. Isn't it weird though, uh, Mike Tomlin? The Steelers coach, I believe, is on the competition committee, and he loves the rule. He thinks we need the rule. So we're saying it's cultural. I agree with you on this. I don't need taunting penalties to be called. They're grown men. It's not high school football. If they want to talk trash, have at it. It's entertainment to me, okay? I want to see it. I'm all for it. I, I like it. I don't know. That's my personality. I'm fine with that. I watch it to be entertained. But yet, here's Mike Tomlin which in your argument would be on the other side of this culture war, if we're going to call it that. And he likes the penalty. Yeah, I don't, you know, I can't even answer for that. My general feeling is this when I play. I'm out here. We've got time on this clock. I've got a helmet and shoulder pads on. You want to talk trash? If I get that upset about it, there's more plays in this game. I'll have an opportunity within the whistle in the confines of the rules of the game because there is no other sport outside of boxing and MMA where you have this opportunity to do what men do when you want to prove something to another guy and you're out of words, prove it physically on the field. You know, so, I, I don't get it. I, I don't buy. And, and again, if you're trying to grow your sport uh, with, with, you know, obviously we can't have them fighting and throwing helmets at each other. We don't want brawl, bench clearing brawls, but the NHL says the hell we can't. <laughs> right, exactly right. They, that's what they do say. But no, but I don't be, want to see that either, obviously. No, it ruins the game and guys are getting thrown out of the game and guys are getting hurt with, with – I don't want any of that. But what I'm saying is if two guys want to have at it and even a little pushing after the play and they're talking trash, it's kind of entertaining. I mean, this is entertainment. Let's forget. It's not life and death. We love it because it entertains us. Nobody yeah, <laughs> stop with the oh we want to be international we want to be in London we want to be in Mexico we want to and we want to embrace all these different cultures and bring the sports to them and then you pull stuff like this for God's sakes come on what happens when you want to go into the Ukraine oh we cannot fight we cannot we can each other. yeah you know? how about how about your time in London they kill each other at a soccer match yeah exactly <laughs> I mean mind you without guns <laughs> guns they just beat the hell out of each other over a, a bunch of guys kicking a ball. I hope, sincerely hope that when the league meetings come in the offseason that the NFL is not tone deaf about this thing. Um, go ahead and put it to bed. It was a bad idea. 
I'm again. I'm hoping to God that a game in the, in the it decided a game on Monday night. Essentially, I mean, did. they uh, got uh, they got an extra three points there. Now we don't know how the game plays out from that point forward. So you can't just do straight math. An argument to be made. There. Sure, sure. So, um, yeah, I'm. I hope this is not one of these things where they hunker down and say we you know, where it's not going anywhere because they've done that in the past. Um, I hope that's not the case. So we'll we shall see. But that's it. I not time. For our favorite part of the show. Um, is it? After last week, is it? <laughs> yeah, well, we didn't kill it last week. But there's always that hope that we talked about earlier in the show. So it's a new week, new games, new lines, new stuff to get after. So it's time for us to make these picks. Before we do that, though, uh, the resident accountant is going to give us a rundown of how things went last the, week. This was week. an embarrassing week for us. You're, you were less embarrassed than me. First of all, college football is an absolute disaster. Uh, Chad and I both laid out 0 and 3 weeks. Bad, bad. I'm 10 and 14 in college for the season. Chad's 10 and 14. We need to pick it up there. I had Minnesota, West Virginia, and Maryland. The only one close to being a win was Maryland. They basically lost to one guy, Santana, or was it Johanna Dotson? I almost called him Santana. So anyway, he beat Maryland by themselves. I took a loss there, 0-3. You lost on the Ohio State University, Cincinnati, who you roundly criticized in our last segment on college yeah, maybe football. maybe it was personal. Maybe it was a little personal. There was, and Alabama, Alabama did you good. I mean, they were a 28-and-a-half-point favorite, and they, they barely squeaked one out against LSU. So Man, that's, I was totally surprised by that outcome. Oh, I was, too. I was, too, especially at the end of that game. That was closer than I think anybody envisioned. So, anyway, we went to the pros. Chad had a good week in the pros. He took a loss on the Panthers, as did I. But he had winners on the Broncos, who did my Cowboys pretty good. I, you saw that letdown coming. That was an easy winner for everybody. Uh, and you had the Packers grabbing the seven and a half. They, they walked in the back door there. They lost 13-7. So you were two and one. And that's, the, you know, last week, that's a winner. That's an achievement last yes, week. We'll take it. I was one and two. Uh, my, my, my pro games were the Panthers, as I said, the Bengals who got absolutely drilled. And then my theory was right about the Vikings. Uh, everybody was down on them after losing to Dallas as backup quarterback. They came to Baltimore and probably could have won that game, uh, but they did their Viking typical Viking loss in overtime, but covered the spread. So in pros, I'm still 16 and eight on the year. So I have no problem with that. Chad, you're 10 and 14. In the pros, so you got to pick it up in pros. We both got to pick it up in college. My friend, I'm all about consistency. Ten and fourteen in college football. Ten and fourteen in the NFL. Well, you went first last week. I'll hit. Let me do this. I'll hit college first, and then you can hit your college and pro, and I'll finish the show on my pro. How about we do that? Sounds good. Okay, so first we're starting off with a game, a team that seems to be my friend's new favorite team. Okay, Chad has, is a closet Michigan fan. He's not telling anybody that. <laughs> But this year, he really, really likes Michigan. And you know what? I do this week as well. Uh, I watched that Penn State game last week. I was on the wrong side of it. I'm going to tell you something. This isn't a great edition of Penn State. Uh, hey, wait, are you a Michigan fan or are you like anti-Penn State? It seems no, like no, the, I, 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 these guys every week. Uh, uh, well, last week, I mean, honestly, that game, I never saw oh, – I have seen it, but rarely one player beat an entire team. That's what that Dotson kid did. I don't think Michigan will allow that to happen. This is an even game this week as far as point spread. I think that kid's going to see bracket coverage, and I just really don't like the rest of the Penn State offense. 
I'm kind of with you this year on Michigan. If they don't beat Ohio State this year, I think Jim Harbaugh needs to find another job. Okay. Yeah, this is it. So, and I think I think they have to have this game obviously if they want that other game to mean a college football playoff berth. So, I got Michigan even. I think they catch a break here playing at noon and not getting a night game at Penn State. I think that's a very it, it, it's going to be lost on some people, but that's a much tougher place to play oh, when they have a wide out. Yeah. So, I got Michigan. Next game. You mentioned them earlier in the show. You got Oklahoma here. They're on the road. They're only giving five and a half to Baylor. They're undefeated. Mm-hmm. Baylor lost last week. Seems like a low spread. You know what? Give me Baylor. Give me Baylor plus the five and a half. I'm not real high on this Oklahoma team. And I really like the coach at Baylor. I think they got caught looking ahead a little bit last week. Uh, lost 30 to 28 to TCU. People will be, you know, crapping on Baylor. But I think this is going to be a very tight game. I wouldn't be surprised if Baylor pulls the upset. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I found I'm going to piss some people off with this because we we know that these guys are like the Yankees of college football. But I, I just keep watching Notre Dame and thinking to myself, this team, the number seven team in the country, what does that say for the state of college football this year? They're on the road. They're playing Virginia, a decent Virginia team. Doesn't play a ton of defense, but they can score. Um, they're six and three. They're getting five and a half at home. I'm going to grab the points again with the home underdog in Virginia. I think this is another tight game. Notre Dame's had quite a few three-point wins this year, so they can still win the game, but I don't think they're covering. So you got Michigan, who's a pick them. Yep. Uh, Baylor plus five and a half, and, his, and Virginia is also five and a half. Yes. All right. So he's uh, kind of an underdog guy today. I don't think our fans are going to really like us this week uh, because I have two of the same picks that you have. Uh, I think you can already guess that I'm on Michigan big time. Um, I still think they should be an undefeated football team. Again, I don't know what the hell happened in that second half in East Lansing. However, they've been blessed enough to see themselves uh, at number six in these rankings. And so a door is open for them. And I think they're going to feel a little encouraged by that to get where they want to go, which is to get into this college football playoff. They can't stub their toe here against Penn State. I feel like they're a better team than Penn State. That is a big plus that you mentioned about them getting this game in the in the daytime hours and not in the night, in the winter, in Penn State, um, with a full whiteout and the noise and everything else. is a tremendous atmosphere. They at least get to avoid that part. But I just think when it comes down to it, nuts and bolts, Michigan's a better team and it's pick them. I thought they'd be favorites here a little bit, but they weren't. So um, either way, just think Michigan's going to pull through on this. The other game that we agree on is Baylor. Like Oklahoma has struggled to win some games this year. And um, yes, they're undefeated. But who is it that we mentioned earlier in the show about, um, oh, Oregon. Like a lot of these games have been muddy for them. It's the same deal for Oklahoma, who is starting a true freshman quarterback in this game. I think Baylor, like you said, did get caught looking ahead. Um, it was probably been a very intense week of preparation and practice for them. And I think they'll be waiting for Oklahoma. Oklahoma. I, I find it funny that we looked at an entire college board in the first two games then, we came up with. They're exactly the same. And, you know, it's funny. I think you're getting about three extra points here with exactly. Baylor because they took that loss last week. I think that loss really gave you a, a nice little cushion here. Yeah, they helped us here um, last week. So I think is if Oklahoma pulls this thing out. It's it's by two or three points. It's 30 to 28. It's 31, 28 or, you know, 37, 34. If they are to pull it out, I actually think 
Baylor is going to pull the upset here. I do like Dave Aranda. Uh, I like what he's doing at Baylor. I think he has a strong football team. Kind of, kind of like Mel Tucker, though. Although he's having a great year, I still want to, you know, look sure. down the road. Uh, you know, we, we need more time to find out what he is as a coach, even though I think he's, he might end up in LSU. Nevertheless, we're talking about this game. I think they're, this is a strong football team to get five and a half at home. So I'm going to take Baylor. And then, uh, you know what? You know who's pissed this week? Michigan State. Damn it, man. We beat Michigan. Why are we sitting behind them in the standings? I like good, angry teams going to take take on teams that they're clearly better than, and that would be Maryland. You know, Maryland has a winning record, but uh, when they faced the bigger boys of the conference, they've been completely punched in the eye. They just have not been able to stand up at all to to those teams. It's been, you know, this it, the, the lopsidedness of it has just been, you know, eye-popping. Let me give you some scores here. They took on Iowa, 51-14 loss. Took on Iowa's uh, Ohio State, 66-17. They faced Minnesota, 34-16. They faced Penn State, 31-14. There's little there to suggest that they're all of a sudden going to hang tough against a Michigan State team that's motivated, angry, and there's just a better team. So 13.5 seems like a reasonable number. I can get it under two touchdowns. I'm going to run with Michigan State. Okay, I like that. I like your logic there, too. Okay, so you're, you have the same two as me to start, Michigan and ba- Michigan even, Baylor plus 5.5, and, and then you're hitting Michigan State – Giving 13 at home against Maryland. Yes. So we're going to fly over now into the NFL where uh, I'll go first here. I hate to do this, Amel. I'm going to take this for a second week. I'm going to go against your Cowboys. I don't know why so much cheese is getting laid on their – it almost seems like it's a setup. Someone's Vegas is against your Cowboys. They shouldn't be laying nine points in this game. I understand that they lost last week and they had a you know putrid performance – Um, despite Jerry Jones giving them all the pointers as to what they needed to do last week in the team meetings. Um, And he game planned with Mike McCarthy. That might be the problem. The frick out of the damn meetings, Jerry, for crying out loud. Go fix the, you know, go fix a faucet or something. He should be doing what Baker Mayfield does in those commercials. Go walk around the damn stadium and let's make sure, get out of the team meetings. But anyway, I just think this is a lot of leather to be laying on an Atlanta team that's kind of, turning things around a little bit. They've won three of their last four, albeit it's been against not the best competition in the Jets, the, you know, the Dolphins. Um, but Well, nine's a nice number. There's a lot of ways for you to cover that game. Sure. And I'm, I'm, I feel strengthened by their ability to go into New Orleans last week and get a win against the Saints, albeit, you know, they didn't have, they didn't have Jameis. They Wichita. tried to do their, they, they, they coughed up a 24-3 lead in the fourth quarter. They, they did, and this is a rematch of that wild and crazy game last year. Yes. Um, you know, so I think these two teams are evenly matched. I think they know how to play each other. Maybe Dan Quinn can offer you know an insight or two, but I just don't think the Cowboys should be a nine-point favorite in this uh, against a surging Atlanta football team. So maybe the Cowboys get the win here, but I just think it's going to be closer than that. Speaking of surging, the New England, the New England Patriots, them with the rookie quarterback. Um, man, I know people out there hate this, but here come the Patriots. Winners of three in a row, four of their last five, and they're playing solid ball, especially on the defensive side of it. And, you know, they're getting an opponent this week in Cleveland that feels really good about blowing out a divisional opponent last week. Perhaps they think a little bit too much of themselves. Everyone says it's because OBJ wasn't there. We'll see about that. Uh, but you're you're now heading into New England and you got to win this game on the road. I don't know if I trust 
Baker Mayfield and these guys in this situation. I really like New England, the way they're playing in the direction that they're headed in. I think they're good enough to lay a point or a point and a half. What do you have this at? Point and a half I have that. I don't think it matters. It doesn't matter. You know, the hook on the end of a one is rarely ever trouble. So I'm going to take the Patriots there. And then I'm going to stick with a team that maybe people weren't really believing too much and I think it has a lot to do with how they started off this season. Um, you know, they invited the Arizona Cardinals into the stadium and gotten mollywopped, and it's been hard for people to see them as anything else other than that. I would like to think last week would have changed some of that. Maybe it did, but they're laying a small number at home against a New Orleans team that is without their starting quarterback. They're running with Trevor Simeon again, and you know what it is about the backup quarterbacks, Emil? When you get film on them, things start to get a little bit more difficult. Uh, I just love the way Tennessee's playing, the way that they were able to go into Los Angeles and get things done defensively, still be able to do what they need to do offensively um, with the timely first down, still running the football without Derrick Henry. I like them here as a three-point favorite at home on grass against the indoor New Orleans Saints team. So recap that for us. I've got Atlanta getting the big nine against the guys in Big D. I've got the surging fighting Bill Belichick, New England Patriots, as a small, minor, one-and-a-half-point favorite at home against the Cleveland Browns. And then I like Tennessee at home on grass. I'm going to keep repeating that against the New Orleans Saints. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm My first pick is very similar to your first pick in that I don't necessarily think the team's going to win the game. I'm not crazy on this one. But I do think, again, it's a nice number. It's a nine. And I promised I wouldn't bet them again. But two weeks, these guys are professionals. Oh, you got suckered. You got zipped in. Who is this? I'm taking the Lions. My God. Uh, yes. I, swallow hard, folks. Uh, but this is the NFL. These guys got beat their last game two weeks ago, 44-6 by the Eagles. They're professional athletes. They sat around and thought about this. And they catch the Steelers in kind of a, a favorable spot here. Um, the Steelers are coming off that Monday night game we discussed earlier, playing the Bears against a team they fully expect to beat and will beat, I think, in the end. But nine's a big number in the NFL. There's so many ways to cover a nine-point spread. You could play a close game. You could be down 14 even. You could walk in the back door. Lions to cover. I think they'll they'll make a much better showing of themselves with two weeks to really be embarrassed by their last effort. And uh, they're not going to lose every game by 30 points, even though they're the Lions. So I'm going to take the Lions plus nine here. I think it's a good spot for them. All righty. Next, uh, you know, the worst thing that happened to the Jets this week was the Jaguars last week. Okay, because this is almost an identical game here for the Buffalo Bills. They're playing a feeble football team on the road that they should beat. Last week, they came out flat as a, as a tire, as many teams did. And last week was a weird week in the NFL. Um, you're not going to get that version of the Bills this week. I expect them to come out with their hair on fire, and I hate doing this on the road, but I am going to lay 12 and a half points because I do not. I expect the Bills to show no mercy this week. I want to say this is maybe three, four weeks running that you've laid double digits. Well, I don't like to, but this is one of those spots where, you know, if, if the Bills had won big last week, I would be reluctant to even touch a game like this because it, it, the effort we got last week could be forthcoming this week. But 
I Buffalo's expect them. in trouble, though, Emil, if they don't cover this number. I'm here to tell you. Well, yeah. I mean, well, unless it's 30 to 20. But, yes, if, if, they, if they go out and they win this game by three points, then I've got some real questions about the Buffalo Bills. Because when you play the Jaguars and Jets, you should hammer them. They didn't do it last week. I expect their full attention here. Um, so, give me them. And here's one. The line doesn't make sense to me. It's telling me something. Last week, Denver went to Dallas and whooped up on my Cowboys. Now, Chad, to his credit, saw that coming. Three Cowboys were sniffing themselves. They had been told how good they were. They won with their backup quarterback. Dak Prescott didn't play for three weeks. They, they had a backup left tackle. They looked flat. It happens. The Packers lost by 35 to the Saints. Okay, here we go this week. The same Broncos who did that last week are only a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home against the Eagles. The Broncos are a two-and-two team at home this year. They don't have that dominant home field advantage. Something doesn't smell right to me, and I think may spend a whole week thinking they're a hell of a lot better than they are. I'm going to grab the Eagles in half here. It's a gut feeling that that line doesn't make a lot of sense to me, and I think the Broncos probably got some confidence from last week that may not that may be false. Emil Calamina with the revenge pick on the Philadelphia Eagles over. Well, I'm not an Eagle fan by any means. I root for them. Listen, I root for Iran against the. Well, they're no threat to you this year. Sitting at three and doesn't matter. I I, listen if they lose, they can lose every game. That's how I feel about them. But I just it doesn't feel right. The the pick the, the spread doesn't feel right to me. No, I agree with you there. I saw it as well and said, hey, what is that? that yes. Right. I mean, I mean, let's be honest. If you watched the game last week and you just watched the way the Broncos played and the Cowboys played, you would think the Cowboys were headed for a top 10 pick and the Broncos were going to the Super Bowl. And that's not usually how the NFL works. That's why I go back to the saying, you are what your record says you are. And while the Broncos are a winning team, nobody's going to be, be thinking this team's winning 12 or 13 games. Okay, this, <laughs> so This could be a double reverse Jedi mind trick where you have the Denver Broncos that beat the Cowboys and instead of throwing extra cheese on their sauce this week, as you know we've seen happen, yes. um, you just left it at what you actually think the Broncos are, which is two and a half. And perhaps, and but I just, I, I, I just, it is it's, weird. It's, it's a weird, it's a weird, it's a weird spread. I expected this number to be four and a half. Like if I was when I was looking at the games before I saw lines, I said, well, based on what they did in Dallas, the Eagles played a close game at home. Four and a half feels about right, and I would have left the game alone. But when they when, when they say to me two and a half, I say. Mm, Something's not right. So who knows? I'm not, you know, there's no, I'm just trying to get the games right. That's what I think. You know, before we cut out of here, this was a topic that we were uh, looking to discuss. And as I sit here and look at the game on the board, Las Vegas is at home against Kansas City. The Chiefs, who have struggled mightily this year, are two and a half point favorites. I can't help but uh, feel like that comes because of the off the field turmoil that the Raiders have been involved in. And so we do have to ask the question, Emil, you knew it was coming. Does it make sense to have a football team, an NFL football team in a 24-hour city like Las Vegas? Yeah, I, I, listen, I made jokes about it for years when it, when it was announced. I said to you, what could possibly go wrong dropping off a bunch of 23- and 25-year-old millionaires in Las Vegas? And I've had people make the comment to me, and to a degree, I get it. Well, what's different about Miami or Dallas or Los Angeles? Yeah, they're all big cities, New York, where you can get in trouble. But Las Vegas is nothing but trouble. 
Okay. It is, it's called Sin City, is it not? Yes. Okay. There's a difference between finding sin or a place where sin finds you. Okay. Oh, man. I don't know, Emil, if, you know, John Gruden's already gone. I don't know if Mike Mayock survives. He won't uh, survive. You just blew up your 2020 draft. You've got two guys not on your roster. Draft? No. Have you seen a draft turn out worse no. than that? Never. It's a I mean, how do you lose? You have a 12 and 19 pick that aren't on your roster a year and a half later. But you got a winning record. So what the hell? I don't, I don't uh, know. Yeah. You know what? This guy who stepped in, uh, if, if, if they make the playoffs, he should win coach of the year. What if they would have offered him the you know interim gig and he was like, no, hell no. <laughs> well, I mean, have you ever seen this much? Seriously, think about it. Even for, for franchises that we make jokes about. Have you ever seen this much go this wrong in such a short period of time? You know, between Gruden, which is all in the last three to four weeks, right? Gruden, the, the tragedy with Ruggs and, and, and the young lady he killed. Mm. And then you've got Arnett off the team uh, making a, a, a video with a gun. I cannot off the top of my head recall that. I, we've obviously had some big, you know, team turmoils over the years. You and I together, you know, we're probably at 40 years each of watching this this sport um we've certainly seen enough happen with teams but multiple things like this back to back i can't recall off the top of my head when i have uh seen this seen this happen and it's just kind of like i almost feel like the deity's getting getting even with al davis i'm something (laughs) something's going on here man but you know in uh you know in the interest of talking about las vegas i just what's the next card that's going to get laid down on the table here i have no idea um i hope i hope this is the end of it but geez they might have to rethink that it might be safer for these guys to be in oakland and i never well uh, can i I mean i gotta tell you this when's the last time you've been to san francisco i'm gonna just jump off of football i gotta just mention this so have you been to san francisco no i'll tell you what i've been in california when i when i i was just talking to a friend of mine about two years ago thinking about going up there i said you know i like the south because i like the south part of california where it's warm so i've been there a lot but you know san francisco's a great american city and my buddy and you may have a completely different opinion (laughs) my buddy said to me listen i've been there for an interview recently Stay away. He goes, literally, there's people crapping in the downtown. And I'm like, you're kidding me. He is not lying. San Francisco's often been called the great American city. I was in San Francisco 30 years ago as part of a recruiting trip to Cal, albeit not there very often. But I left. I came away with a good impression. Emil, I've been there twice in the last two, three weeks. There can't be a more tumultuous and dirty downtown area than San Francisco. There's no way there's a place worse than that. There's no way. Well, you know, you know, it's actually sad. We'll venture. We're straying off a little bit, but you know, at some point California has got to clean itself up because two years ago I was in San Diego and I had been there before. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking down in the gas lamp district where, you know, it used to be a hip section in San Diego. They were they they hose down the street corners midday from people crapping and peeing on them the night before. And I mean, I don't know what these cities are thinking. I mean, something's going on, man. But you in San Francisco, hard for me to describe. But yes, dogs stay stay away. So it's two times too many. If you've been there two times, I, you know, Danny goes there often. My brother goes there often. And I said. Uh, this last weekend, I said, Danny, I don't know if this is possible, 
But I'm here two weeks later in San Francisco, and it's dirtier now than it was <laughs> when I was here two weeks ago. Dogs crap in the road. They don't curb them. There's scores of homeless people. They're walking zombies who are high on whether it's meth, crack, whatever. I watched a guy walk. We were walking through the streets to go to a restaurant. In the midst of all that, we found a nice Indian restaurant that we were revisiting. And there's a guy next to us who's mumbling something that walked right into traffic. You know that whole sign that says, wait. wait yeah, that didn't stop him. It was yeah. not talking. No. Walked out car stopping for him. And we walked past this guy again. Right. Because he's going in the lo, lo and behold, he's going in the same direction we're going in. So we speed past him because we're not going to walk, you know, arm in arm with, you know, this zombie. We walk past him. Um, we got across another city block. He catches up to us because we're going to wait because of traffic, not him. Went right into the traffic again. And it's like, man, what's going on in this town? People are smoking. They're selling dope. Open well, look at the upside, Chad. You can leave your credit card at home. When your wife forgets her sundries, you can just walk into CVS and take what you need or Walgreens. Um, apparently so. We're not of that ilk, but I guess it would just fall. In <laughs> it doesn't matter. Hey, the $999. It's, it's, it's a no-brainer. All I kept thinking as I'm walking through the streets is this is this is Escape from New York. This is that movie with, with Kurt Russell. This is it. This, this is it right here. It's not a, this is not fiction. Um, it's really sad to see. You and I are going to break out into a whole other show if we don't cut it off at this yeah, point, because I'm telling you right now, that's a whole other show for us. Okay. Yeah, we're going to rush Limbaugh this thing. Yes. All right. We gave you the picks. We gave you our talk on sports. And we even, you know, told you, we gave you guys some travel recommendations here at the end with regards to Francisco. <laughs> yes. Stay away for now. Stay away. We, we hit it all today, man. And we appreciate you guys spending the time here with us again. Yeah, please go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Um, so you don't miss another show. Follow us on social media. Enjoy the picks this weekend. Enjoy the games. Hey, and remember my tip there. You halftime betters. Watch the trenches. Watch them big guys in there. They'd appreciate you putting the hog mollies, who, you know, as, as Gettleman calls them, the big yes, hog mollies. <laughs> those guys. Uh, check those guys out a little bit more this weekend and see if it helps you out. Anyway, for Amo Calamino, I'm Chad Wilson. Thanks for joining us here on the Good Iron Stud Show. We'll see you guys next week.